Welcome to the Blockdown Podcast, brought to you by EOK Digital, the number one blockchain PR and communications agency. Every week, we're sharing pearls of wisdom about the world of blockchain and cryptocurrency. Don't forget to subscribe and review our podcast so we can bring you even more great content. And we are back. Welcome back to Blockdown 2020. Our next guest is the founder of the largest cryptocurrency YouTube channel with over 335,000 subscribers to date. Being an international speaker, thought leader, and crypto analyst in the space, he utilizes his over seven years of uh, experience in traditional markets to understand the potential of cryptocurrencies. I am a fan and a friend and have been listening to this YouTuber for quite some time. I remember 2017 in my car, always listening. Um, His talk uh, title is Bitcoin in a Time of Chaos, a Macro Trader's Perspective. Please put your virtual hands together for Nicholas Martin of Datadash. Nicholas, how are you doing? Chris, I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. It's nice to see you. Yeah, very good to see you as well. Um, I'll just give you the floor. You take it away and hopefully we can uh, get to some questions after your presentation. Absolutely. Yeah. So just to give a brief introduction, my name is Nicholas Merton. I'm the founder of Datadash, one of the larger YouTube channels in the cryptocurrency space. And it's an honor to be here with all of you during Blockdown 2020, especially during this chaotic period that we're currently living in. And you know, speaking to that chaos that we're going through right now in regards to COVID-19, I wanted to spend my time today to talk to you all about the current scenario that we're living in. I think most of us are feeling the current ramifications, whether more personally, maybe a family member or friend getting sick with COVID-19 or possibly passing away. Um, and in the other case as well, economically, probably much more broadly rela- uh, relatable for most people, whether you're here in the United States where I am or in another country across the globe. Most people who are serving in non-essential services are staying home right now, and a lot of people are trying to make ends meet at the moment. So again, we are all feeling the pain and ramifications in some way or another. But I don't want to just talk about the present today. I think the present is extremely relevant, but I also want to spend some time to dive into the past and talk about a multitude of issues that have compounded over the last few years that are now coming to fruition here during a time of COVID-19. And I'll look into the future to see if we can find some solutions during these very turbulent times. And as the title proposes, I do believe not only cryptocurrencies in general, but specifically Bitcoin is going to come to the cause here and actually provide a solution or a hedge of some sort during these times. So we have to take a step back to the past before we can even talk about the present or future and talk about the potential of cryptocurrencies. On my channel, I've been talking about the broader macro world of finance, and I've been talking about the past few years since 2008, what's happened over the last few years, and what mistakes we've continued to make. And Quite frankly, the simplest thing to focus on is our continued expectation that printing money and lowering interest rates, otherwise known as monetary policy, is the solution to be able to fix the underlying problems of our economy. So taking that step back, more than a decade ago to 2008, we had the housing crisis, not only here in the United States, but across the globe, that shocked the global economy, having one of the worst recessions since the Great Depression. And even though this event was tragic in its end, At the same time, the Federal Reserve came in, as well as other central banks across the world, from the European Central Bank to the Bank of England to the People's Bank of China and the Bank of Japan, and enacting massive stimulus programs of printing large amounts of money, buying financial assets, and also lowering interest rates to historic lows that we hadn't seen in many economies either throughout history or in a matter of decades. 
So we had this interesting experiment of monetary policy at a scale we'd never seen before. And this basically, in and of itself, created more issues than it basically fixed. It never got to the underlying issue of allowing certain companies to fail who had made risky bets. It didn't allow certain banks to go through the actual restructuring process to actually start rebalancing their books and starting to focus on making more sound decisions. In fact, the Fed basically said, here's a ton of free money. Money is also generally cheaper now. Don't make the same mistakes you made before. And this generated a lot of artificial issues that, again, are now finally coming to roost. We have one of the largest asset bubbles we've ever seen in the global economy right now. In fact, over the last few years, companies have been enacting stock buybacks and corporate dividend packages, the likes of which we've never seen before. It's led to about a net $15 trillion inflow into stocks over the last 10 years. And they've been basically the only net buyer of stocks over this period of time. Average Americans, you know, normal average everyday institutional investors have not really increased their position into equities over the last decade. It's really been companies propping this up with money that they should be putting into the real world economy, things of the like. And they've also taken out a lot of borrowed capital during this time of cheap interest rates in order to continue propping up stocks. But this alone isn't already enough of an issue, right? We've heard about the stock market itself. But there's another key issue here, which is elements of the economy, like shadow banking. Now, shadow banking is as scary as it sounds. It's not some cabal of you know, hidden bankers, but these are institutions that conduct lending operations similar to a commercial bank, but with much less regulations. They're deeply tied not only to the mortgage-backed security crisis back in 2008, but they are playing a role in continuing the same risky lending schemes that we've seen today. And these are a lot of the kind of smaller lenders that are actually doing a lot of lending volume to the average everyday American and usually lending out to lower credit worthy individuals, things like Quicken Loans, et cetera. They've really started to dominate the mortgage market. And because this has become a larger sector of our economy, even though we have enacted regulations on banks, we still have a continued expansion excessive risk-taking, and a lot of unregulated sectors of the economy starting to dominate the credit markets. And last but not least, we have, again, a massive explosion of hedge funds continuing to take excessive risk. I mean, this is just broadly speaking to the craziness we've seen in equity markets and general asset markets, where people yet again are trading on excessive amounts of leverage and therefore excessive risk, and leaves a lot of companies that dominate the financial sector to be at a high risk for defaults or bankruptcy. So these are just a few of the issues that we've talked about on my channel over the last few years as we've continued to cover the macro perspective of what's going on in the global economy. Now you might be wondering, why are all of these important? Well, they're important because even though these problems have persisted and have been basically normalized by the end of the day in the current economy that we lived in before COVID-19, in the present reality with COVID-19 and the shock that it's brought and the halts that it's brought to the global economy at the current moment, we have now seen a lot of these problems come to roost. And when these start to happen, the Federal Reserve and other central banks alike have to react. My concern at the end of the day is not so much a few hedge funds going bankrupt and whether the Fed responds or not, because quite frankly, I can place my bets that the Fed will respond in bailing out or supporting these companies. In fact, they've already been doing that over the last couple of weeks. Along with that as well, I have no doubt that the central banks with their ability to print infinite money or what they call infinite QE or quantitative easing, I have no doubt that they're going to continue to print money in order to continue stimulating lending operations through shadow banks, through normal commercial lending institutions. And I have no doubt we can very well see assets continue to climb 
and their dollar value when you're printing infinite amounts of money. But with this topic of infinite money and the tool of interest rates that central banks utilize in their form of monetary policy is something we cannot ignore. Just in the last few weeks, we have seen what's known as QE4, the fourth program of quantitative easing that the Fed has enacted, the first one that it has enacted since it started quantitative tightening, basically pulling back a lot of the stimulus that it had applied to the economy to stimulate us back from 2008 to 2018. And now that we've started to see the Fed reenact these policies with QE programs as large as $6.4 trillion in the last few weeks since COVID-19 has ravaged the economy, as well as one of the largest interest rate point drops since back in 2008, down to nearly 0%, we are now at a very interesting time in our economy, not just in the United States, but globally, because other central banks like the ECB, if you live in Europe, are going through the exact same procedures. And in fact, they're in a territory of negative interest rates. So this is the topic that I want to discuss. Over the last few years, we have seen a lot of economies across the world from the ECB uh, to, uh, for the example, the Bank of Japan as well, toying with the idea of negative interest rates. And now we're at a point where we're going to see what happens in a world of negative interest rates, whether or not we can sustain this system. Because over the last few years, you know, it's basically been a reality for a lot of European citizens and Japanese citizens that if you have money in a savings account, you will be penalized for having money in that savings account, for being a good citizen and putting away money for the future and long-term expenses. And the same goes for people who own the bonds of a lot of these governments. They're in negative territory. So a larger amount of the government debt sector in this case, you know, basically the bond market, has continuously expanded. And not only that, a lot of it has expanded uh, in the sense of bonds that are paying a negative yield. So they're penalizing you for taking on an IOU, a promissory IOU from the government. This doesn't make logical sense if we're talking about you know, real financial literacy. It, it seems like something out of the twilight zone. And something like this that seems so foreign to possibly happen in the United States is a very real case scenario in the next six to 12 months. And that's a conservative estimate because of how fast the Fed has already dropped interest rates and how much the Fed is already printing. So my thesis here that I want to propose today is that this is the modern reality of COVID. And as a macro trader, the first thing that I look to do when I'm managing my capital, my available net worth, is I look to see what markets are going to prepare me in this environment where the Fed is printing unlimited amounts of money. And along with that as well is having negative interest rates where you're being penalized for having your money in savings or the yields of treasuries go negative and you're penalized for owning government treasuries or federal bonds of other governments. Well, we have to talk about market size here. We're talking about anywhere around $20 trillion in U.S. Treasuries alone. That's not including the broader government bonds out there for European markets, for Asian markets, et cetera. They could very well be entering into negative territory. And this reaches into an additional few $10 trillion as well. So trillions of dollars in regards to Treasury markets, and not to mention as well the trillions of dollars in deposit accounts for savings accounts across the globe. Where is this money going to go? There's really three markets at the end of the day that generally act as a place where you can store wealth, and they guarantee two things. They guarantee that they can't be printed into oblivion just simply through their simple rules of existence, and along with that as well, that they don't penalize you for owning it. Sure, they may not provide you a yield of any sort, but they won't penalize you at the end of the day. And a third bonus as well is that they're not tied to any nation in this case. They're not tied to a specific nationality, a specific economy. And these three assets are the well-known store values, gold and silver, and Bitcoin. 
And this is my argument as to why I believe Bitcoin is the perfect store of value during this time. It's the perfect hedge to be able to get some exposure outside of the global economy and the central bank monetary policy scheme that dominates just about any other country in the world. And that's the key point I want to bring in here because of Bitcoin's limited supply here, not just limited, it's finite supply at 21 million coins. It sets itself up to be the ultimate store of value as time progresses. And I have a big belief system here that over the next few years, if we continue to see interest rates declining and we continue to see money printed into oblivion, that we're going to see a major flood of capital, whether it be from everyday people or institutional investors, to have their savings parked in an asset that can't go through that same procedure of mass printing and mass devaluation. This is the general thesis that I want to drive today. And I have no doubt that it's not only going to be Bitcoin, but I have a feeling that Ethereum Litecoin and many other cryptocurrencies are going to play a role in this. There's no negative argument to be made against other cryptos so long as their monetary policy is fixed and so long as they provide easy flight away from the traditional systems that we're used to. I'm not here to say that I believe that all cash and all types of currencies across the world, whether it be the dollar, the euro, or the yen, or the British pound, I'm not here to say that they're going to fail, that the traditional central bank system is here to die in this decade. But I will say that it is certainly going to be a period of time where people look for a challenging system that provides them the necessary protection that they need. So that's it for today, guys. I appreciate you all listening to me and uh, would love to answer any questions that you all may have as uh, we go through this uh, Q&A section. Nicholas, thank you so much for, for the chat. Uh, absolutely uh, amazing uh, synopsis, synopsis of, of what's happening right now. Um, just so you know, we, we have a, a digital artist who's drawing and being inspired by the talk. So we have one for you as well that uh, they just pulled up. So um, sh that artist will continue drawing over the next couple of hours and people can download those things. Um, we have a lot of questions from our audience from all over the globe right now, um, Nicholas. So um, what I'll do is I'll get to the first question. Um, what does the continued printing of record amounts of money in uh, the U.S. mean for the financial system? Now, I know you touched on this a little bit, but maybe just your, your personal, um, your personal uh, theories of, of where exactly it's going in the, the short and midterm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a good question, Chris. So basically, the first thing I want to emphasize in the discussion of printing money uh, that I may have not emphasized enough earlier that I think is very important is that even though we have seen record levels of quantitative easing, for example, this one program alone that the Fed has enacted, QE4, has outpaced the past three previous quantitative easing programs in the same span of time, if you were to combine all of them together. Uh, so this shows the sheer scale of how the Fed's printing. And there's a lot of economists out there that are proposing the idea that the Fed is not going to stop printing anytime soon because there is just such a sheer demand for cash. This is why, for example, in equity markets, we saw the fastest sell-off ever in history, even faster than the 1929 uh, Great Depression, the initial sell-off in the Great Depression. And this goes to show that, again, there was a lot of excessive leverage in the system existing with a lot of people taking excessive risk. So now that we understand that, right, we understand that the Fed is going to be printing probably even more than the amount that they've already proposed here, the $6.3 trillion that they've committed so far. I think it's very clear to understand that, yes, some of it will go into equities in the short term. Yes, some of it will go into property markets like it's gone to over the last decade. But I feel over time, what you're going to have is you're going to have the effects of inflation. A lot of people are going to realize that even though the dollar value of the equities that they're buying or maybe the properties they're buying is going up, 
it's important to factor in the decline of purchasing power and that valuation through inflation. You know, the base printing of excessive amounts of money that devaluates the purchasing power. And I think it's going to get to such a point here where when it reaches the average consumer, we start to see that velocity increase. We start to see way too much excess capital in the system, and we start to see prices uh, generally rise in this case. So again, even though the assets are going up in this case, you're still going to see an overall hindrance in the underlying value if you account for inflation. And this is something I always point to on my channel. I talk about the general performance of the S&P 500 and how in the last two previous cycles, we actually had lower highs and lower lows uh, than we did from each previous cycle in this case because of inflation and debasement of the money. So again, people don't see this when they just look at a standard chart, but if you look at inflation adjust, it's very key. Now in the long term, what I would say is to look for these hedges. And that's why I'm positioned where I am. I'm mainly in cryptocurrencies, but I also look at a variety of other markets like gold and silver. And I also look for, again, at the end of the day, you can look for some exposure to certain bonds or certain types of uh, you know financial instruments that are going to provide you some yield. It's not all governments that are going negative right away, but I, I do believe at the end of the day, because we're all working in similar structures of monetary policy, lowering of interest rates, increasing of cash in the system in order to supplement growth in the economy, artificial growth, then in this case, you're going to see most central banks follow in that direction. So I would say Bitcoin, gold, and silver are going to be probably the, the plays for the next decade as assets really dominated the previous decade. It's totally strange times. And in these times when we have these financial crises, you start to peel back the layers of the financial systems. And I think you, you get a big group of people going, that's not really how it works. It can't work like that. I can't print money. They can print, wait a minute. And they start hearing these numbers and say, where does it come from? And start to realize this stuff. Um, it, it's insanity and, and incredibly broken and, and really scary to, to think about. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to a couple more questions uh, here. Um, news today says a bill has been drafted in the U.S. that would pay U.S. citizens $2,000 a month for the next six months. What will this do to the U.S. capitalist system? Um, it's a similar question as the last one, but maybe you can talk about uh, you know, these monthly payouts that are part of a bailout for, for citizens globally that will probably happen in many different countries. Um, what is that going to look like? And, and is it to pull the wool over the eyes of the citizens? And, and, and uh, yeah, what, what, what's your, your thought there? Yeah, so I think the first argument that I always like to bring up when, when people discuss this idea of like a paycheck protection program as we've, we've started to get some of the first deposits here in the United States, a little bit delayed uh, compared to a lot of other countries. But basically, at the end of the day, if I were to give, be given a choice of two things, a corporate bailout and an everyday um, you know, American kind of bailout, I would take uh, the latter of the two. I would support the everyday American getting a paycheck and being able to purchase everyday goods and services. Uh, basically, at the end of the day, if you were to look at this from an economist perspective, what this is basically going to be, if we really start to get into the two or $3,000 range, uh, in this case, you would not only look at it as something like UBI, but it's a wealth distribution program at the end of the day. Uh, if we start to account for more of these new dollars being printed, uh, the inflation, even though it will have an effect on the consumer savings, at the end of the day, if every American's getting it versus, for example, companies getting bailouts, in this case, it would actually be a slight wealth transfer to the everyday American. Again, I think that's a topic up for discussion. More than anything, I'm concerned about the long-term ramifications of the base of this coming from the Federal Reserve. So if the federal government decides to implement a universal basic income, which this is kind of becoming in a sense if it's going to be over six months, a universal basic income of two to $3,000 per month, 
would be great in the short term. And if the federal government wants to finance that, it has ways to do it through tax revenue, then in that case, it might work. Uh, if the Fed starts to do this through uh, you know, a printing program directly to Americans, again, this might have some ramifications if it's prolonged or too much cash into the system, uh, where we could start to see a big increase, not only in inflation, but also velocity as well. So again, it would be a matter of whether or not the Fed can deliver on it properly. Uh, it tends to be that central banks and central planning in general usually ends up failing, uh, even with good intentions. But again, I don't mind the experiment in this case. I think during this time, this is probably one of the better periods to do it uh, in the sense of just helping out everyday people. Again, would much rather see a paycheck protection program like we're seeing now for the US rather than bailouts for companies that again, for decades spent a lot of their cash on stock buybacks and dividends and didn't really invest in the real world economy or put money away for a rainy day fund. Very true. Well said. Listen, Nicholas, um, thank you so very, very much for your time. And thanks for joining us uh, on this venture. Hopefully you'll be able to take part in our 3D environments and our after parties that are going on. There's exciting things. There's an absolutely massive announcement coming up uh, later on today. Um, thank you so very much for your time. Thank you for your presentation. Uh, it's been a blast. Thanks, pal. It was a pleasure being here. And thank you, Chris. It was nice seeing you. Good to see you too, man. All right, guys, we're going to quickly go to a, a short break and we will be back to continue Blockdown 2020. Thanks for listening to the Blockdown podcast. To connect with us on social media, buy tickets for the next Blockdown event, or find out more about EAK Digital, head to the show notes for further information and links to everything. See you next week.